Yes. Good morning. Speaking of the goodness of God, I wanted to uh, illustrate the goodness of God in a picture. I want to show you my Thanksgiving plate from Thursday. What do you, what do you notice? What do you notice? Fried chicken. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not a turkey guy. I never will be. So if you know, if you know my story, last Thanksgiving was really tough. I had a stroke a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. So I made up for lost time. I hope you had as good a time on Thursday as, as, as we did. Um, if you're new here, we're so happy you're here. Uh, you're coming in on the second week of this adorable little tiny series, just a cute little two-week series that we're ending today, but I need to catch up. We talked about this phrase, canary in the coal mine, uh, which we unpacked last week. So I'll give you the quick version. Back in the day, uh, there's a lot of danger in coal mines, and they would have explosions. They figured out they're from gases that are uh, invisible. So they figured out if they take a canary into the coal mine, um, that the canary will get sick before the humans do. So if the canary's singing and he just falls over dead, they know evacuate before the explosion comes, which is awful, right? But we use that as an analogy um, of the internal things God gave us to let us know, like, hey, these are warning signs. You need to pay attention. We zeroed in on one specific of apathy. When you stop caring about spiritual things, that that's a warning sign that God wants to use to transform something in your life. And we've talked about several um, weapons against apathy of just not caring, which is so prevalent in our culture, spiritually and non-spiritually. So we talked about the weapon of gratitude towards apathy, not just because it's Thanksgiving, but this is, a, this is a way of life for the Christian to live in gratitude. So I hope you experienced that this week. Uh, the staff, there was four of us, and we just started going around talking about some of you, people and things we were thankful for related to the church. And we did 10 rounds of just going, that's 40 things that we just put out there, and it's powerful. I did the same thing with my family. There's five of us. We did 10 rounds. That was 50 different things that we were just thankful for. We're trying to create a habit. It takes, they say, 30 days. So if we keep naming, writing, texting, typing things that we're grateful for out loud, um, then by Christmas, this will be something that's a part of us. It's a, it's a weapon for the Christian. We want to be a, a church built on gratitude because we're built on the gospel, which is take us there, and it's a weapon. Uh, gratitude is a bridge to zeal, which we talked about last week, this enthusiasm. It's the opposite of apathy. It means that we, we care. And, and today we're going to focus in on a different word that should go with that enthusiasm, and that is this word, urgency. I don't know what you think about. I don't know if you think about urgent care, what you think about when you hear the word urgency. I think about bathroom stories. Right? I, I, I kind of had to, I had to uh, edit this ahead of time so my wife approved it. and I, She was in first service, and I said, was it okay? She's like, it was fine. Just maybe we need to take a little break from bathroom stories. I'm like, mm. Or maybe not, right? Because they're amazing. So uh, probably six months ago, I was uh, leaving here to go meet somebody for lunch up at Alpaca, White Oak, 10, 10 minutes from here. Felt fine. I get in the car. I'm halfway there, and I realize, hey, I need to use the restroom. And then it starts building and building, and I'm like, oh, no. You know that feeling, right? Some of you get it during the church when I'm preaching, right? And I'm like... <laughs> You, I got to go, and, I, and it's really, sorry, it's like it's, it's building, like it's not normal for me. Like, I've, I'm not going to make it. What are my options, right? I can sit in the car and just let it go and then act like I'm eating lunch with this guy and I didn't pee my pants, or I can pull over somewhere, try to find a tree and hope that I'm not the pastor on the news for indecent exposure peeing on the side of the road. So this is why, drivers, this is why you can't be the person at the front of the line with a green light on your phone, 
there may be a pastor three cars back that needs you to go and make the light. So I barely make the light and I pull into Alpaca and I'm like, I'm not going to make it. And I'm trying to do all the tricks, turn up the music. To, like if you think about something else, you won't. All right. And, and I, I get there and I get out and I'm, I'm sprinting. And the guy I'm meeting is out, out front and he's waiting. He's at the umbrella. He sees me. He's coming over to shake my hand and I'm so rude. I'm like, <laughs> all right. And he, you know, thank goodness there was no little kid in the bathroom. I made it. Um, and that's my urgent story. That's what I, that's what I think of. Yeah. Amen. I was, I was worried. Um, I had to go to the doctor, like, what's going on? And did all the tests and said, no, you're fine, but um, you have a slightly enlarged prostate, but that's normal. And he said, it's going to get worse as you get older. I said, awesome. It's something to look forward to. <laughs> and he said, you can, uh, you can, I can give you this, this pill that'll help it if it's bothering you. I said, it's really not bothering me except that day. And he said, uh, well, the, if you take this pill, there's a 20% chance of your arm falling off. There's a 10% chance. <laughs> Of, you know, and all these things. I'm like, I think I'm good. He said, well, if it gets bad, come back and see me. And I said, don't count on it. Um, urgency. I want us to, to unpack and be an urgent church, you know, just urgent without the panic, right? There was panic in me that day with the bathroom. We're, we're trying to get urgent without panicking. We're, we're a church. We say this all the time. We're a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. It's got to be some urgency to that. All right, to be gospel-centered, to be forever focused. Forever focused means we're focused on forever. We're closer to forever than we've ever been, and forever is really important for everybody you know and love. Um, there's some urgency that goes with being forever focused, and, and a multi-ethnic movement. A movement means you're moving, right? You know what a movement can't have? You can't have a gospel-centered, forever focused, multi-ethnic church without gospel-centered, forever focused, multi-ethnic people. So as a person, if you're part of Relentless, we're trying to help each other center our lives around the gospel to do something here and now that matters in forever, to make our lives count for something with urgency. And then we need to live a multi-ethnic life in order to be a multi-ethnic church. If the only time each week that you see people that look different than you is Sunday morning, that's not, we're, trying to do, we're trying to go deeper than that. We're trying to live uh, a multi-ethnic life to be a multi-ethnic church. And, and the gospel that we center our church and our lives on is built on grace. Grace is the most wonderful, amazing thing, right? It's, there's some urgency to get the word out. So many people that you know and love, maybe you're in this room, they think because of what you did back in the day or this week or because what you haven't done that you're disqualified for something. And grace says that everybody, everybody can get in on this beautiful news. That's the story of Christmas as we get into a Christmas series next week. It's that we're all, this is the gospel, that we're all so lost and messed up None of us, the best of us, would not live a life good enough to get back to God. We've been separated from God by sin. And whoever the best of us in this room is, I don't know who that is. I know who it isn't. Right? Whoever that is, you can't get yourself back to God with your goodness. So Christmas is Emmanuel, God. God knew we would never get to him, so he came to us. Not while we were cleaned up and doing well. That While we were still sinners, Christ, he came for us on our worst day. Right? That's the motivation. That's the driving force behind our urgency. Uh, we like to quote 2 Corinthians 5, that Christ's love compels us. It is the, it is the driver of the urgent life because he compels us by his, by his grace, by his love, that he did what he did for us to save us, to rescue us, to adopt us. And we're a relentless church because that grace is relentless. It doesn't, you don't even have to believe it. You don't even have to like it. He just keeps coming back. He's a patient, relentless God. 
because um, he loves and he wants us to live a life of urgency. And Paul understood in the scriptures, he understood that urgency. He was writing to the church in Corinth. And like some of the things we talked about in Galatians last month, there was like, you know, there was accusations that he was hanging out with the Jews too much or hanging out with the Gentiles too much and like you're, you're selling out and all this. And he said he was free from all that. Check out the urgency in this. Verse 19 of chapter 9, 1 Corinthians. Though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So nobody owns me, all right? Uh, but I, I've voluntarily served people for one purpose, to win. Paul was a winner, right? I'm a competitive guy, right? And I'm asking God for strength. It's not fair for me to have to come and preach with this on the front row. He's in red pants. He's in red pants, who wears red pants shirt and his state stuff right on his? But, you know, we're, we're, it's the power of Jesus, right, Ashley? We got Tar Heels and all the stuff we got on the same row. God's working it out. Yeah. Pray for me. Um, I, sometimes my competitive nature gets the best of me. I had something happen this week as a coach that's never happened to me in all my years of coaching. Um, we blew this team out. They weren't very good. And I'm not bragging, they weren't, it wasn't we were that great. They just weren't very good. They had one girl that really knew what a basketball was. So, so in, in college, you know, coaches shake hands first. In high school, the players go first and the assistant coaches and the head coach. So I'm in the back. Coach comes through and shakes all my girls' hands. And then when it comes time for the coaches to shake, they do a 180, turn around and walk away. My assistant coach turns around and is like, I'm like, I don't know. I said, I'm going to go talk to her. Right, because I'm not, you know, what do you, so I go over, she's getting her stuff on the bench. I was like, hey, good game. She's like, gives me a, hmm. I said, I, I missed you in the, in the handshake line. I didn't miss her. She turned around and left, but I, was, <laughs> I missed you in the handshake line. I'm like, what's, you know, I'm going to find out. And she said, yeah, that was just a little much. I was like, what do you mean? She said, the way you were guarding our girls. And we didn't press. If you know about it, I was like, we, what, do you, what do you think this is? I didn't say that. I said, I said, no, you got, you got one really good player. I think they scored 18 points. I think she scored 18 points of their 18. And I was frustrated because we're going to, we've we, we got to try to get better. we got big goals for the season. It's like, I'm trying to, I was, we're trying to guard her once she came over half court to try to get better for future games. And she said, well, we're trying to learn how to play basketball. That was a little much when you're up 80. And we weren't up 80. That was an exaggeration, maybe 70. But we were never up 80. <laughs> and... And that was that. So I didn't say any of the other things that I wanted to say. I just, when I, when I get in those situations and my competitive juices are flowing, I say, you know what? I said in my head, I'm just going to tell the church about you. <laughs> so take that. It's not my problem that your girls don't know how to play. But I didn't invite you to this game. This is Paul, Paul saying, hey, I'm going to do what it takes to win. So if you're competitive like me, God wants to use that to win, not games. He says, verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Why? To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. Why? Why would I do that? So as to win those under the law. Is he faking it? Is he? No, he's not faking it. He's saying, I'm going to find common ground to do what I have to do to win, to not win games, but to win people. Verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. We know what that means if you're with us for the Galatians series. So as all this I'm living as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. This is a whatever it takes mentality. Paul's like, I'm not messing around. right? If you put me in front of 
Jewish people, I'm going to find common ground with the Jewish people as to win them to Jesus. It's that important to get people to Jesus that I will, I will, I will find common ground with the atheist. I will find common ground with the conservative, with the liberal, with the NC State fan, whoever, right? I will find common ground. I'll become whatever I need to become in order to what? To win. There's an urgency of winning, not arguments, but people. And he summed it up. Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Now, we know as a gospel church, like Paul didn't save anybody, and he knows. You've got to interpret Scripture with Scripture. We know Paul's, this is the same Paul that somewhere else said, I plant and water, only God can make things grow. I can't make things grow, right? He knows who he is. He doesn't save people, but God, he believed that God could use his life to help other people be saved, and that's winning. And he said, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to become whatever I have to become, whoever I'm in the room with. I will, I will, bow, I will do what I have to do because it's that important to win people to Jesus. You know, someone said a long time ago, I don't know who, as a, on the forever focus vibe as a church. Um, I've always remembered this as a kid when I heard this, that there's two things that we can do on this earth that we cannot do in heaven. Now, when I say in heaven, I need you to picture like a new world and a new life, right? Not like floating around, singing. I think from what scripture tells us about the next life, it's another life. It's got trees. It's got all the stuff. We're going to have a culture and a building. The difference is we won't, you know, we'll be in new bodies that won't die and all, and we'll be with Jesus and all those beautiful things. And there'll be, according to scripture, there'll be a lot of food. I think a lot of days in heaven will be similar to Thursday and the feasting of that. So there's two things that we can do here that we cannot do in heaven. Eating isn't one of them. Working isn't one of them, right? They are, one, sin. We can't sin in heaven in our new bodies. And two, share our faith. There's nobody to share your faith with in, in heaven. So the, the preacher line is, there's two things we can do here that we can't do in heaven, sin and share our faith. Which one do you want to spend your life doing? Right? There's an urgency to winning when you understand how short this life is and how high the stakes are. Paul said, verse 23, he said, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. We call the gospel, we define it here as the incredible news of our rescue and adoption. That's incredible news. You've been rescued, you've been adopted, no matter who you are, that God wants to adopt you into his family, and he did what was necessary to make that happen through Jesus on your behalf. He came to get us. We've, we've got to have some urgency Right? There's hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. Do you know what the, the emotion of hopeless feels like? Some of you remember that. It's really important if you're a Christian in the room. Some of you have been a Christian for, for two months. Some of you have been Christian for two decades. Right? If you're a Christian in the room, you need, even if you came to Christ as a kid, you've, you know what hopeless has, feels like. You need to remember that sometimes. You don't want to dwell in it, but, but sometimes it's for the Christians in the room, we can forget what hopeless feels like. We forget what empty, purposeless life feels like. And if you remember it, it gives you some urgency. If, if, you're, if you have hope and you love people that are hopeless, right, then you, you live this winning life that, that Paul's talking about. He, he continues, verse 24, he says, Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? You can tell this was written in the first century, right? <laughs> because 21st century... It would say, don't you know that all the runners race and all of them get a prize because you get the prize for showing up, you get the prize for the nicest shoes, you get the prize for fifth runner-up, you get the prize for the hustle award, the sportsmanship award, for having the best-looking mom, all the awards <laughs> that we get in sports today. But that's not, 
what Paul's talking about. He's saying all the runners are running the same race, but only the winner gets the prize. So what he's not saying is always win and, and make sure you perform because there's nothing. Performance is religion. We're about relationship. The gospel is like we can't perform. Jesus performed on our behalf. So we're not trying to win the race. He's really not talking about winning the race. He's talking about how you run the race. In a race, this is where the analogy falls apart. In the race, there is only one winner, but in life, there can be many winners. How do you win in life according to God? It says this, run in such a way to get the prize. In a race, you can run in such a way that you can try to win and still lose. And Paul's saying, don't, don't run the race like there's, no, there's, like there's no finish line, like there's no purpose. Run like you're running for something. Live like you're living for something. For us, that would mean, are you living strategic, intentional, intentional, strategic life with some urgency that forever is really close, that we're here for a reason, that we, the stakes are really high of what the people of Jesus are supposed to be about while we're on this planet. Uh, we, we put this uh, quote up on the screen in the movie theater in our pre-launch service. We're kind of, uh, this is a sentimental quote to me. I don't know who said it. People argue about who said it first, but the quote is, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter, right? Fear of failure is such a rampant thing, but he said higher than the fear of failure should be the fear of, of doing really well and succeeding at something that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. That's what he's talking about. Run in such a way to get the prize. Make your life about something that matters and will matter not just in this life, but the next. Verse 25, Paul said, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So that's the difference, right? We're, we're about going to get something, and you win, you get a trophy, that's great. Right as a competitive, um, as a competitive coach, uh, a couple years ago we had we made it to our championship, uh, East Coast championship. We lost in the finals, and they gave us a second place trophy. And I just threw the bag in the garage. They want and I didn't mean to, but I act, I told the girl I didn't mean to break the trophy. But the little girl on the trophy, I'm a women, I'm a varsity girls basketball coach. The little head on the trophy fell off. So I took that to the first day of practice the next year. I was like, here's what we think of second place. Is that, you know, it's motivational, right? <laughs> right. Um, I can't be telling all those stories in here because some of my players are in the room and they're going to know my, tr my tricks. Um, you know, trophies, awards, accomplishments, they don't go with, they don't last forever. That's what Paul's saying. People, athletes spend their whole lives to get something that won't go with them. We're trying to gain something that is eternal, that will last forever and that reward it's like we don't do it for the reward we do it because of grace and what god's done for us our the love of christ is what compels us but we need to remember the reward there's some of you that were taught to follow jesus we don't care about rewards right god wants you to care about the reward he said there's two things that you need to come to god i love this verse in hebrews 11 it says without faith it's impossible to please god and anyone anyone is you anyone who comes to god must believe that he exists, we got that, you've heard that, but you also must believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's really important to the Father that you believe, if I trust you, that's going to come with reward. It doesn't mean earthly reward, it doesn't mean financial reward. It could, but it means, it means the next life, all of this is going to be worth it. That's where our faith kicks in. That's why we do what we do. That's why we train. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we worship. That's why we grow. That's why we're part of the church, all those things. So verse, back to, to Corinthians, Paul says, Therefore, I don't run like somebody running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. 
No, I strike a blow to my body. I make my body a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Right? And that's not talking about salvation disqualified. It's talking about there are rewards, and he's running for it. And he's not running aimlessly like, you know, you ever seen uh, the kid in, in rec league sports, that like, you know, just in soccer, and they're like just for a, for a truck. They're not even know where the ball is. Just, he's like, I'm not running. I'm not. You know, we, we pay these days. Some people pay for pay-per-views for occasionally boxing or UFC fights. Like, nobody's going to pay to watch a guy shadow box and fight nobody. Paul's like, the guy just beating the air, that's not, we have a purpose. We have an opponent. We have an enemy. We were called to live with some urgency. Like, it's good enough to live with some urgency in this life, some urgency to be right with God. And here's the beautiful thing. You know if you're right with God. If your answer is, I'm not sure if I'm right with God, that's not a great answer. Right? You need to have some urgency to be right with God. You get right with God through Jesus. We'd love to have that conversation with you. If you are right with God, you're like, I'm, I'm not perfect. None of us are, but I'm right with God. Then you got to have some urgency about living out the plan that God has called you to, your next step. Right? You hear preacher, preachers say that all the time. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. I don't disagree. I think that's a true and wonderful statement. But what we always need to attach to that is God rarely gives you anything but the next step. Right? He doesn't give you, at least most of the time, this, hey, here's what's going to happen in your 20s, and then here's what's going to happen in your 30s. Here's what's going to Usually, he says, here's what your next step is. Trust me in that. And that's part of the plan, but we don't get the full plan up front. The other thing I'm learning as a dad of three teenagers is that God rarely gives the plan for your life to your parents, right? Uh, for, you know, when they're young, you control so much of their life, and now my kids are looking at colleges and occupations and all those things, and I don't have the answers. I don't know. And what I've told them, and they were in first service, so I've told them privately, now I've told them publicly, I just, wherever you end up doing whatever you end up doing, uh, as far as where you go and what you're about, I just want you to be honestly be able to say, God led me to this. Whatever that looks like and whatever school, whatever school that means they might, they might go to, like as long as God leads you, there's applications in at some of those schools. And we'll trust God with that. Because I don't, I don't know God's plan for their life. And that's like, how? Man, God, I want to know what your plan is for their life. I don't. I just know that he's trustworthy. And I want them to live with some urgency. It's never too early to live with some urgency. If you're young, don't buy the lie that, yeah, I can, I can, uh, you know, I can, I can live on point, on purpose when I get older and get things figured out. Well, there's a lot of us that are a lot older than you, and we still don't have things figured out. You want to live urgently with purpose. It's never too early. It's also never too late. I love that we're a multi-ethnic church. I also love that we're a multi-generational church. And I'm not trying to be rude here, but if you're in the fourth quarter of life, Shouldn't that come automatically with some urgency, right? There, there's, some, there's, a, there's, a, there's a narrative in our culture, the older you get, the less value you have in the world or in the workplace. That's not true in the body of Christ. The older you get, the more value you have. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for decades. You know there's some young married people, some young single people that desperately need somebody who loves them with some wisdom, who's seen some wars and come through them. We need your wisdom, and we need you to live urgent lives because you know how fast this life goes. It's not just a phrase for you. You know that you've lived more years that you're going to live on this earth, and, and we all need that urgency outside of age or season of life. So urgency in what? In living out the mission. What does that look like? Well, that's between you and God. It can look like a lot of things. Last week, uh, Raph had a meeting uh, after church about our next Honduras trip. Um, we have a partnership with a village in La Ceiba, 
Honduras, and we took trip a trip before uh, COVID, and it's our first trip since, right? Some of you, God's called you to go on that trip. I don't have a clue who that is, right? But if you're interested and couldn't make the info meeting or didn't know anything about it till right now, and God's doing something in this moment, that's not me. We pray for God to move in these. Then, then see Raph, and he'll tell you um, what you can do to know more about that. But just do something. Live with urgency. You know, Seth mentioned the uh, angel tree uh, in the lobby, and this is there's deadlines help us with urgency. This is the last day you can take a tag and bless a family. And we say that so casually, bless a family. You guys don't get to read the letters that I read and get the testimonies of families that, that say, because they, they were blessed through somebody through Relentless um, at Christmas through our Angel Tree ministry. And, and, and they say, sometimes with tears, like, I can't believe somebody that I don't even know. Like, they, I thought Christmas was going to be just a big dud this year, and it was the best Christmas ever. And we just can't, and we got to find, sometimes they come seek us out. We got to figure out who these people are that loved us so much without knowing us. Like, it's not like it was a cool moment on the Christmas morning. It is a life-changing moment. They tell everybody, there's this church, there's this God, I guess, who really does love me. And he showed up on Christmas morning through, people, through strangers. It's powerful. It's, so there's some urgency to that. So if you've already taken a tag, we need those back because Christmas is coming. We need those back um, next week. And we build an extra weekend because we know how some of you are. Um, but if you're going to take a tag and, and are able and blessed to bless another family, today is, is it for that. So have some urgency. Maybe it's Angel Tree. Maybe it's Honduras. Maybe it's baptism. Um, some of you have been thinking and praying about that. We're trying to figure out when our next baptism Sunday is. We'd love to know if God is, has been clear with you. Like, don't put that off. Urgency is about doing what you know God is. You know God's called you to do it, then do it. It's not tomorrow. It's, it's today, and, and here's something that you can't do right this moment, but you can do leading into December. Next week, we start our Christmas series, Christmas um, for All, December 3rd, 10th, 17th, 24th. We always take the Sunday after Christmas off, so there'll be no services on December 31st. So these next four weeks, um, we're going to be very intentional and strategic. We're going to speak to you if you're a follower of Jesus, but we're also going to speak to some people in your life. Uh, we're a church that was founded on the untold and unconvinced. We think there's a ton of people that have never heard a clear, logical explanation of what the gospel is. We, it's untold. We think there's a ton of people that are unconvinced. They have heard it, they think, their whole lives, but they've never been convinced it's worth going all in on. So in this Christmas series, we're going to ask you to invite people, right? And people that don't invite, you know, your friends that go to a church, they love it. We're not trying to get people from other churches. We're trying to get people... I was talking to a woman a few weeks ago. She was telling me about her daughter, and she said, we don't even invite, we don't even try to invite her to church anymore because she's, she's so mad at the God and the church because of what she's been through. And I told her what I'll tell you. That's who we're targeting. That's who we want. The people that we, you've given up on, our church is relentless church. God doesn't give up on anybody. So if you just, well, we don't even try anymore, whoever that is, that's the person we want you to invite uh, to this series. And we don't think there's a bigger compliment to the church than you trusting us as Relentless Church with a, a, a friend, a loved one, a coworker, a neighbor. Um, it's hard. Just remind you, if you've been coming to, it's hard to walk into a church for the first time. If you're not a church goer, if you haven't been to church in many years or some years or not sure you feel like all these people got something and I'm on the outside. So we try very hard to make them feel not like an outsider and you guys can help us um, with that. But it comes down to two questions. Do you trust us as a church and do you trust the gospel. It's like people, they're so, they're so far from God, like there's just no hope for them. There's always hope in the gospel. That's the point of it. 
Is the gospel big? Is Jesus big enough to touch somebody supernaturally? Maybe it's not through a message. Maybe it's through just a little part of the service, a little testimony or, or a lyric in a song that just God does amazing things. We don't, we don't know that. We've got to trust God. We also, it is a partnership between the church and you. I learned this the hard way. Um, we had two, we call them pre-launch services. We were launching the church. So they're not practice. They're real services. We'll just make sure everything was going to work back in 2014. Um, we had two pre-launch services just to kind of get some momentum built. So we had the first one. And at the first, we had about 35. It's kind of our core group, 35, 40 people. At, we're at the movie theater where we started. And I said to them, all right, for our second pre-launch service, here's what we're going to do. We're going to grow this thing real quick and easy. I want you to think of anybody in your life that is a first responder, um, teacher, military, current or previous. Military, first responder, teacher, administrator in the schools, any of those things. Some of you, you know somebody that fits that. Uh, we're going to honor them next, next pre-launch service. We're going to honor them. So I want you to bring them. We'll have a little gift for them. And it'll just be, it'll be beautiful, right? Go get them. You know how many we had at the next pre-launch service two weeks later uh, that fit that description? One. One guy named Drew. And he was a student of mine in Kentucky in my youth ministry. He had moved to Cary to have an internship with USA Basketball. He knew nothing, and he was ex-military. He had gone to the Army. But he knew nothing about what we were doing. He just came and showed up accidentally. And I was like, there's our one guy we're honoring. And I was like, man, what, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? And later, God was like, yeah, they don't know you. Right? You're, that, that is not just it's for, you, for you. You say it so casually. But for normal people, to invite somebody to your church is a sacred thing. Because like, we say you don't really understand Relentless until you've got somebody sitting beside you who's not sure about Jesus. Right? Then you care if the person at the front door is happy or rude or short or if they're wearing something godly or something like this guy. Um, you care if, if the person at the, um, at the cafe you know, had a good night's sleep and you care if they're warm. You care if the person, if the family's coming with kids, you care if the person is you know, inviting and acts like they know what's going on. You care if, if the preacher that day has spent time with God to give them something from God, not from humanity. You care if, if, the, if the notes sound right and the music has passion and authenticity. You care about all those things, not just for the person beside you, but for you as well. So, so we're asking you um, to trust us. We're going to preach the gospel in this series, and we're asking to, to have some urgency um, with that. You know, um, I, I got to be real honest uh, and vulnerable with you as far as urgency I didn't realize it at the time, I wouldn't have said it like this two years ago, but now looking back, I lost a lot of my urgency in the, in the pandemic. I didn't mean to. I never gave up on God. I never gave up on the church. But this was, you guys remember, there was so much going on. There was so much to it. We kind of, we, I kind of got in this mode of like just trying to keep my head above water. And I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about, I didn't have urgency that, that we have the, the answer to hopelessness, and there's hopelessness, there was extra hopelessness in the pandemic, but we kind of got off, I kind of got off that urgency of why, um, why we planted this church, um, and God has brought us out of that, and we're thankful to him for that, but, but man, we want to get back to forever focus. We can only do a few things on this earth, in this life, that are really going to matter in the next life. 
Uh, and we want, you want, we want you to feel the power of being used by God. You know, they, was, they did a study. 95% of American churchgoers have never brought someone who doesn't follow Jesus to church with them. So if that's you, you're in the mass majority, right? So there's just something that's weird that we want to be normal. Um, we think God wants to touch somebody in your life with the story of Christmas, which is really the story of the gospel. And we're going to speak specifically um, to the doubters next week. We're going to speak specifically to the outcasts on December 10th. We're going to speak to the multi-ethnic church and how that ties in with Christmas and then to the lost on, on our Christmas Eve service. So we're really excited about what God's going to do. We want to partner with you, and it's going to take some urgency, right? Um, we, we've learned and I've learned don't put off for someday what God has called you to do today. We're not counting on Relentless Church to do all the heavy lifting. There might be somebody God puts on your heart. You don't need to just invite him to church. You need to text him and say, hey, can we get together lunch or coffee this week? I need to talk to you. And you can share the Jesus that you follow with him. You don't have to share it perfectly. You just have to be prayed up. We need to be prayed up as a church because we're expecting these chairs to have people that aren't sure about church or God or Jesus and maybe have given up. We're expecting you to get them here over the next four weeks. And that comes with spiritual warfare and spiritual attack because our enemy hates that, right? We sang the song, Hell Lost Another One. Now, like, that doesn't happen easily or, or simply. So we want to be... We want to be prayed up. Um, you know, there's some fear and uncertainty in, in planning a church, and it took me a long time. I think God would say it took me too long to get to the place of planning a church. And I'm not the hero in this story. Jesus is. But I want you to know he used my dad in this. Um, my dad got sick in 2010. He died in 2012. And he died such a, a faithful death. And I learned so much in walking through that with him. Um, of how sure and certain he was of what awaited him on the other side of this life. But the hardest part of that, and some of you guys have walked through this in your own lives, the hardest part of that for me um, was my dad was such a dignified man. He was just, he was, he was um, known for his integrity. He was just one of those, he's just a good guy that you can count on. And he was, uh, I got all my mischievous, my, my pushing the line humor, I got all that from my mom. My dad, if he was here today, and we went, and, and after the service, he would say, I'm proud of you, I love you. And then he would say, why do you got to talk about the bathroom? Like, you couldn't, think of, you couldn't think of any other way to describe urgency other than that story. Like, that would, he'd just be like, we don't, we don't. He, 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 he struggled when the church started to uh, evolve past uh, suit and tie. Like, he was, he was about 15 years behind a lot of other people. He just didn't, like, he, it was hard for him not to dress up for church. It's just who he was. So I tell you all that. To say when, when he was in Winston-Salem, where we grew up, and I was able to be with him, uh, they said it's time to come home. Um, we were living in Kentucky, and uh, we thought it was going to be in a day or two. It ended up being two weeks of him in hospice care. And just to watch my dad um, be taken care of so well, but be so um, unable to take care of himself. This dignified man in a gown needing help, and the bed sores, like the whole, you've seen it, you know, it's like this, this is what it all comes to, like he's lived this amazing life, and this is how it is in the end, um, and it was, it was crushing to me, but God used that of like, we do get one life, and we don't know how it's going to end, but he used that to say to me, have I called you to plant a church? And I knew he had, but there was just too many question marks. I wanted all the blanks filled in, and that's not how God works. So he didn't fill in all the blanks. He just said, do you want to be 
your dad's age, he died at 65. Do you want to be 65 thinking about, man, what would have happened if we would have stepped out on faith? And I don't know if God's calling you to plant a church, but I bet there's something that you've kind of been rolling around in your life, in your mind, that you're pretty sure God's called you to, but you've just been scared. Don't, don't plan your whole life for someday. Here's another thing I learned from my parents, um, and I believe they would be okay with me saying this. They were great parents, and they, they're, you talk about seasons of life. They grew so much more closer to Jesus in their 50s and 60s than they did their 30s and 40s, and I'm thankful for that. To not have a house that we talked about Jesus a lot in as a kid, but to naturally talk about Jesus with my parents in their older age was such a gift and a blessing to me. They worked their tails off. They were both in school, uh, uh, public education. My mom was an elementary teacher. My dad was a business teacher in high school that became an assistant principal and worked in uh, central office a little bit and back and forth to the schools. But dad, when I, for my middle school and high school years, he was always gone before I got up. He would work early. He would stay late as assistant principal. He'd have to go to ball games. So he, he worked a long schedule and he worked hard and mom worked hard, elementary school teacher, good grief, for many years. Right? And in 2005 or six, dad retired for the second or third time, but finally retired. And, um, and then in 2007, they built their dream house. My dad, I've told you, he loves golf, loved golf. So they built their dream house on a golf course in 2007. And in their mind, man, the rest of our days, we're going to play golf and we're going to have a house that blesses the grandkids and we're going to, you know, it's just going to be awesome. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I just use their story to motivate you to urgency. They, they worked their whole lives to get to 2007. In 2010, my dad was diagnosed. In 2012, my dad died. In 2014, my mom was diagnosed. In 2016, my mom died. So really, before anybody got sick, they got not quite three years of work they worked their whole life for. And I hope that's not your story, but I tell you that to say, why are we acting like we got time that we, not, we don't have? We're supposed to live today. And there's something in your life that God has been so clear. I pray that he'd put it on your mind right now. There's something in your life that you know, and when God tells you to do it, he doesn't call you to do it someday. He calls you to do it now, today. If there's somebody that came on your heart and mind as I was talking about this December series, oh, I got a doubter in my life, right? That's not accidental. We're asking God to really... Put people on your heart and mind. It is not up to you whether they show up here. It is up to you whether you put the invite out, right? Let them say no. Don't say no for people. We're learning that. Sometimes, oh, they would never come. Like, what well, you're doubting God's ability to write. You might be shocked at who says, yes, I'll come. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to do our part. Uh, we're going to be ready. We're going to pray you up and pray that you're ready. We have the best news this world has ever heard. We've got to be relentless, and we've got to have some urgency with what we're talking about. We've got to think towards forever. What's really going to matter? Are we, what, what are we going to let stop us from getting where we want to get? All right? Um, so that starts next week, and it'll be the next four weeks, and we hope, we hope you'll join us, and we hope uh, God puts somebody on your heart to maybe invite to join us as well. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for how mission-driven Jesus was. Thank you for his life, that it was so easy. People tried to get him off and... and distracted and we're so distracted sometimes God I pray that as a church that we could be intentional strategic and we would have an urgency that we wouldn't live this life like we got guarantees that you never gave us that we wouldn't live in fear that we wouldn't live in panic but we would live on purpose that we would live with an urgency and God we were believing that there's some people 
that just aren't sure if there's a God who loves them. They're just not sure about this goodness of God that we sing about. They just haven't tasted that for themselves. God, I pray that we would trust you to do that work in their heart and that they would be in this room and in this building and they would feel the love of your people and they would feel the God of the universe calling them home. God, we believe you can do anything with anybody. So we ask for your power. We ask for your protection. We ask that you'd go ahead of us. Um, and we pray that we would live urgent lives in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray and go. Amen.